Hello. Welcome to Why Not Both. My name is Pam Schaefer, and I'm a musician and therapist in Los Angeles. Why Not Both is all about how our multiple passions inform our identity. And this season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar magazine and produced by Laura Studeris. If you like what you hear, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and come spend time with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, and that is both on Instagram and on Twitter. For this episode, we got to virtually hang out with Los Angeles legend Alice Bag and chat with her all about her new album, Sister Dynamite, as well as a bunch of other stuff. She's super rad, and I hope that you enjoy our interview. I'm chilling in my reading chair. I just set all my stuff up over here. I'm like, this is fine. (laughs) That's good. I tend to get a little, like, claustrophobic in my workspace if I put Mm -hmm. too much stuff in it. (laughs) I'm the same way, and I tend to, I tend to, I don't know if you do this, I I rearrange my workspace, like, every few months, like, just to shake things up. Yeah, I well, there's not a lot of places where things can go, but I try and like I, by rearrange, I just mean I, I clean up. <laughs> <laughs> and try and find things that I've lost over the, you know, over the last month. That's so funny. I'm like, welcome to Why Not Both. We're all secretly Marie Kondo now. <laughs> it's kind of fun. Then you forget you have stuff. It's like, oh, look what I discovered. I liked this once. I still like it. Yes. Yes. I've been discovering that even within my music space. Like, what? You you don't have a toy piano and a melodica? <laughs> <laughs> like, obviously. What? At least you know what your instruments are. Sometimes I just buy stuff at like yard sales and I'm like, what is that called? I think I do. I think I have a harmonium. Oh, um, no, maybe me. it's not. It's like it doesn't have the little like flap in the back, you know, like uh-huh. the, the pump organ thing. Uh-huh. I don't I'm not sure. But it's a little box and it has the the um, the buttons Ooh. For, uh, for the different chords. I don't know. I guess maybe it's a chord organ. Oh my God. I was like, I I, that sounds kind of like if you took like an auto harp and a harmonium and somehow like smush them into the same instrument. Yeah, I think that's what it is. It's a little, it looks <laughs> like a toy. It sounds like a toy, but it's, it's pleasing. <laughs> oh my God, that's so cool. <laughs> I'm like, I want to play with it. Oh, that's amazing. It's so funny. I usually ask guests at the top of the interview, like, what do you do? And now I'm like, so what weird items have you found in your home during this I know. quarantine? I, I have a toy xylophone. I, I actually had to get a better xylophone because my, my toy xylophone didn't have sharps or flats. Oh, no. Now, now I have one that has sharps and flats, and that's very exciting to me. So. Ooh, do you have, I have the little angel tone glockenspiel. It comes in like a little plastic case, and I have had that thing for like 10 years, and it's bizarrely served me so well. I don't know what brand it is. It, it does, it, it comes in a little case. It's a little blue case. Uh-huh. Is that the one you have? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's featured on my record. <laughs> oh, my God. That's amazing. That's I love that. Like it's funny because I was I was watching uh, the decline of Western civilization last night to watch some footage of you, and I'm like, one, you're a total badass. But now I'm like, you're a badass with a Glockenspiel. Ah, <laughs> uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> like, this makes me so happy. <laughs> 
Oh my God. I mean, I, it's just such a weird thing, you know, imagining like if somebody had told you like, you're going to be in a punk band and then you're going to do a little punk solo on Glockenspiel. You believe it, right? <laughs> I love that. That is, you have no idea. I was like, that makes my day. Because <laughs> I think that people underestimate instruments sometimes, um, especially the eccentric, tiny instruments. And then all of a sudden you're like, watch this. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I really enjoy listening to some like oddball thing thrown in, you know, like somebody yeah. using a kazoo or whistling or playing a cheese grater or something. <laughs> <laughs> like on my on um, my first record, my one of the drummers that I use, I use like three different drummers, but one of the drummers was Joe Berardi, who is mm -hmm. a, a incredibly uh, versatile drummer. And um, I asked him, I said, let's put something different in there. Like, let's bang on like on some different things. And he's like, I've got some old license plates in my car. What? He brought the old license plates <laughs> in and he started just, and they had, somehow they had different tones. And, oh and uh, it was amazing. I actually took a little like video clip of him as he was, you know, playing this the license plates. <laughs> I don't know. Even describing it sounds ridiculous, but they sounded great. That also, that sounds like the most punk rock thing, just to be like, oh yeah, of course I have a pile of license plates <laughs> in the trunk of my car. <laughs> why? I never thought to ask him that. Why, Joe? Are you like committing crimes and having to change your license plate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, were they all from the same state? Were they from no. different states? No, they weren't. <gasps> they were from different states. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. That's yeah, actually... I'm like, I have I so many questions. Uh, me too. Me too. I'm going to have to reach out and find out. Be like, what happened there? Because yeah, like, I remember seeing those bags around LA that people used to make out of like expired license plates or like licenses that were no longer in use, I guess. Like people used to make like handbags out of them. Oh, cool. Yeah. I have a vague recollection of that now that you mention it. Yeah. And I was like, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, maybe he was making handbags. Yeah, I love that. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm spinning this story in my head that I'm like, why would someone have license plates? Like, oh, maybe they're making handbags. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, I'm just like, well, maybe I'll have to interview him about maybe his secret handbag business. Yeah. That I wonder if he's so at home right now. That's a little side job during the isolation. Exactly, exactly. Everyone else is baking bread, but no. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Like baking bread. I am like baking nonstop. Oh my I God. Mean, make That's me so stop. Much. <laughs> well, it's been, it's been cloudy. I mean, this is, it's sunny today, but for the right. past couple of weeks, it was cloudy and rainy and it just felt like we're all at home. We have to sit here and just hang out. Let's bake some bread. Yeah. Make some tortillas. Let's get some yep. cookies going. How yep. about some bread pudding? <laughs> that is so funny. I think I drank more cups of tea during that because I kept being like, oh, I'll just put the kettle on and have another cup of tea. That's so comforting. And after a while, I was just like, I think I'm half woman, half tea. Now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We can overdo it. I know. And and also I was like trying to um I think when this first started when my my husband first like came home for a load from work, 
Like he's mm-hmm. like, let's have a drink. And I'm like, yeah, let's, you know, <laughs> we don't have to work. And, uh, and then I realized like, oh, maybe that's not the best thing to be doing. So getting drunk during this isolation. Not, not, I'm not judging anybody. If you're getting drunk, enjoy. But I'm, right. just thinking like, right. I'm just thinking like, I am at risk. I should probably be trying, you know, eating salads and working out and trying to stay strong. There you um, go. There you no, go. That's, I know that's what I should be doing. All I, like yesterday, Greg was, my husband, Greg was totally tempting me. He's like, I, I have all the stuff for a martini. And I'm like, yeah, I want uh, <laughs> Well, and also we've all lost track of our sense of time whatsoever. And so it's so funny because most people would be like, oh, you know, maybe I'll have a drink after I'm done with work or, you know, at the end of the day. And now it's like, what are yeah what day is it yeah how did any of this work and that's I mean wow I'm thinking about you know when you said like oh when he was first furloughed and I was just like that must have been a huge change of pace for everybody like watching watching what's changing in LA right now is fascinatingly strange like I always thought like oh I like reading history I studied classics and now I'm like excuse me I did not sign up to live through history yeah this yeah. was, <laughs> I, I like reading about this abstractly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, <laughs> um, living through it, another story entirely. Yeah, I know. I mean, it, it sounds like, you know, I, I was going to say, well, we could, you know, stay home and read about it. But then it's like every now and then you need to like go to the market or go to the hardware store because something mm-hmm. broke. And, mm-hmm. and then it's like, I just, I even like the most basic trip out of the house kind of freaks me out for two weeks. Like, okay, yes. uh, now, like now we're starting day one again because somebody in the house had to go to the market. Right. So we have 14 days to count and, and hopefully within that time, we, somebody else won't have to go to somewhere. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's crazy. So, it, yes. And it's so, uh, it's so strange. I went for a walk with one of my like quarantine mates and we're like, imagine, imagine the scene. We're walking down Sunset Boulevard in the middle of Silver Lake. The street is completely deserted. It's evening, not like middle of the night, but definitely it has gotten dark outside. And she and I are walking together and someone actually whistles at us from across oh my God. the street. <laughs> the one other person on the street. <laughs> Oh God! And she and I were both just like, you know, normally we'd be mad, like, but this is actually funny that we're like, and also we were wearing like, I think I was wearing like pajama pants under a dress with a hoodie and a mask. I'm like, (laughs) and we just started laughing. We're like, are they just trying to make this like normal? God. Yeah. (laughs) Usually I'm like, where are you going with that? If you whistle at someone, but under this circumstance, I was like, I really am wondering what you're trying to get out of it. (laughs) It was relentless. It was a time. It was a time. I was curious because you had said like, oh, you're finding all this new stuff and it when you were talking about that instrument and then talking about the license plate solo, I was wondering where did you record? The new album we recorded in echo park at um station house studio Ooh. with mark rains who is a really great engineer he knows his equipment really well he knows like 
he communicates with me and my producer really well. Like we can, <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes when you're working with someone and you, you know, you're asking them for a certain tone, mm-hmm. it's not as easy as like saying like, you know, turn that button there. It's like, right. they have to know, they have to know their equipment. And Mark is great about that. He really like, we can describe a sound or play him a, a sample of something and say we wanted to sound to have this tone and he can he can make it happen and uh, awesome. i'm so grateful for him that yeah. is so cool i love yeah. when you can bring in references and a producer is like oh like this and you're like exactly like that yeah and and my my producer lisa flores is just such like such a clear communicator too she has um she's just very detail oriented she can hear every little thing that i don't hear you know like she'll just say like uh where i think like some, the, the bass is not cutting through instead of saying like bring up the bass she's like, mm-hmm. oh, bring up this this part of the midsection of this <laughs> instrument and turn down the you know like you know she knows how to tweak it like and I don't know. For me, it's for me. I I paint with much broader strokes, mm. <laughs> so it really it really helps to have you know people on the team that know how to you know interpret the things that that I say and that the that the producer says. So right, right, and especially like I mean, watching the footage last night and then hearing you speak now, like it sounds like there's been a really interesting evolution from like I'm like how do I even frame this question like watching that and then hearing you now talk about like mixing the midsections of bass and things like that I'm just like wow what happened in all of those intervening years that's fascinating I was like what was that process like to go from being more of like a performing band to like what you do now and are you still performing and like I guess we would be live streaming now because we don't go anywhere <laughs> like, yeah. what's that like well I um well, first of all, let me start off by saying I canceled a whole bunch of gigs that I had planned um, through spring and summer, but um, but I'm okay with that, actually. I, I do feel like I'm very fortunate in that I had the opportunity to make um, some videos ahead of time, mm-hmm. so I feel like my music, like, we pushed back the album release a little bit, but I feel like the music will still be, the, the album will still be coming out, Right. Um, but a lot has happened since the bags days. You know, when I first got in a band, I um, I didn't really know what I was doing. I started writing songs and I felt like, I'm not sure that I'm the best lyricist or, you know, I've, I've always felt like I had, a, like my strength was melody. Mm-hmm. So um, my guitarist, Craig Lee, would bring in lyrics and he'd bring in a bunch of sets of lyrics and say, and just say like, you know, use, use my lyrics and you make up the melody and you put them, you know, put them wherever you want, edit them Mm -hmm. however you want. So at a certain point, I actually stopped writing for the bags. Um, it was probably like a year where I wasn't writing at all. I would just use, um, Craig Lee's lyrics and, um, you know, fit them to the music. And I would, Mm -hmm. I guess I was writing the melody. Yeah. um, Yeah. But I wasn't really, um, I wasn't contributing lyrically. And it was, it was strange because then towards the end of the bags, I went back to writing again, to contributing lyrics. And Mm -hmm. I felt a lot more confident, 
but there was a period in there when I felt like my, my language skills weren't there. Um, and I think over the years I've just, I've become a stronger lyricist. I've actually like read books on like how to, <laughs> how to write a lyric, what, you know, there's craft involved in it. And I try and be respectful of the idea that there's a craft, but also, you know, know that it's punk rock so we can break all the rules. Right. Isn't that yeah. like, I love learning about, uh, it's weird. I actually, I was afraid when I was learning music theory that it would ruin my ability to write music. And it's weird because like, I don't actively use like theory and lyrical knowledge when I'm writing, but I find that then I use it when I'm editing or then to like revise my work. It's almost like I'll dump out ideas and then kind of like go in and be like, oh, okay, like what works and what doesn't. And then when I analyze it after, I can usually find reasons why it works and why it doesn't, but it's almost like you have to like learn the rules, then throw away the rules. <laughs> yeah, and then they come up when they're needed, you know? Yeah. No, I agree. I agree with you. I feel like I read the books and then like, you know, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm lying. I didn't read the books. I read like one book. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I, you know, I did the, it had like little exercises. So I did the little exercises and then I, you know, I put it away. And then next time that I was writing a song, you know, something would come up and I'd say, oh yeah, remember to like, yes. think of a more interesting way to say that. Don't say it in a cliched way, which was one of the things in the book, right? And yeah. it makes total sense. It's not like, it's, it's not um, anything that's, that we don't already know or that doesn't make sense. So it's. Right, right. It's just kind of like having like friendly reminders in the back of your mind, just being like, oh yeah, oh, I can do that a different way. Yeah. Exactly. So how is it, I'm grateful for them. That's awesome. And I was wondering, like, how is it different than working on your own solo stuff? Like, do you write on your own? Do you like to write with co-writers? Well, all my solo albums have been um, written by myself on my iPad. Um, nice. Pretty much, like, I, I use um, I use GarageBand, so awesome. I can multi-track and. Uh, all of them have me playing like a really bad guitar, <laughs> but I mean, but the chords are there, the changes are there and the right. idea, you know, like, right. I remember like writing, um, you know, a little guitar hook that I wanted to communicate to my guitarist and I couldn't play it. So I played like three notes and then I, ha and then I would get another, I had to track the rest of the line <laughs> on another track to make it because I couldn't move my fingers fast enough to complete yes the, yes but but then he took it and not only did he play it but he added like his magic to it the way mm -hmm. it's the way that the musicians play the music the their personal touches that really like so I feel like there is collaboration in the sense that I'm using people that are super talented to play my music and so like even if I write a very basic song they're gonna make it shine that's amazing so, and that's awesome that you have people that you trust that you're like I'm gonna present this idea to you and that they can take that idea and like run with it yeah yeah so I'm I'm super grateful for my band who has stuck with me you know over the past few years and um you know they I think it, it's frustrating for them at times because like right now we had like a, you know, they were, they were planning on going on tour, maybe making yeah. a little bit of money and, uh, and now they're, they're stuck. Yeah. They're stuck at home. So. Uh, yeah. I'm glad that I've been seeing, 
And I should at some point like actually really read. I've been reading like the headlines about like how like Music Cares is helping musicians. Like a lot of new people have like put up Patreons, like things like that. Um, but just kind of like what's out there to support musicians that usually are touring musicians that right now are like, uh. Well, the only problem with that is that you know, it's the whole country's is in the same yes. boat, you know? So as much as you want to support like fellow musicians, it's like, you're in the same boat. You're also like trying to figure out like, how long will my little bit of savings hold out? You know, right. will I, will, will my, uh, unemployment, um, actually kick in or will I, you know, I mean, for me, like I'm, you know, I'm self-employed, I guess. So it's like, is it going to, are they going to find reasons not to, not to grant me unemployment? I don't know. They let me pay pay taxes, so I guess they grant me unemployment. <laughs> I was going to say I feel like a lot of this has spoken to how you know uh, I don't know how to put it other than deranged and broken our system is. Right. Uh, that we're wondering these things of like because you are self-employed, which means that you have paid taxes, which means that you should be paying into unemployment for yourself. Um, and I'm like, the fact that we're even wondering, like, can, can you get paid? I'm like, oh, that man's was so angry. I'm <laughs> like, I want to. I know. <laughs> like, <laughs> like well, is... we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. I mean, I think right now, I think whatever, what's important to a lot of people is that, you know, the, the, that there are no rent evictions, um, that people can pay their mortgage either in payments or that there's a delay in mortgage payments. And right. I mean, I think people just need to be able to know they're not going to be thrown out of their houses and they're going to be able to take care of their families. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Whether they're artists or otherwise. And a lot of artists I know, it's interesting because before all this, I remember talking to a lot of artists on my podcast about the idea of even artists having day jobs and how like in some ways that's so frowned upon of like, if you have a day job, then you're not quote a real artist. And that right. I've, I've always thought that that was so silly personally, because I'm like, well, if you make art, you're an artist. Like yeah, <laughs> I, I totally agree with you. And I remember getting into a discussion with somebody because I was a teacher for a long, long time while simultaneously playing music. And mm -hmm. I remember somebody saying, well, I'm a musician. I play music all day. And I'm like, yeah, but you know what? You took that gig where you hated the band you were playing with but you played it anyway because it was paying your rent right. or you did that, you know, that thing that you didn't really like, but you were playing music because it was paying your rent. So how is that any better? Like, at least I only play music. I love <laughs> right? <That's, laughs> and, and if I don't like it, I'm not going to play it for any amount of money. And the other job I had was teaching kids that Ooh. I also loved. So it's like, you know what? I'm happy with my choice to ha be a teacher and make music. That's so. amazing. I was like, when did you teach kids? Cause like, I, I love working with kids. I think that kids are amazing. Um, I, I taught um, elementary school for like over 20 years here in Los Angeles. And then uh, I moved to Arizona for a little mm -hmm. bit and I taught there for um, a year. And then I moved to Sedona um, for for a short period of time and I did not have that was the only time I think that I didn't have a regular gig I was just like wow. writing music on my iPad and uh, I had just written Violence Girl 
Mm-hmm. So, um, so I knew I wanted to do a book tour. So that was mm-hmm. like my first, that was the first time in my life where I just totally thought, okay, I'm going to just be an artist and see where I land. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's I, fascinating. Yeah. I was, uh, I don't know how old I was, but I was over 50 by that time. So it was like, you know, I, I'm on a little campaign to show that like old age can be a really creative time. Like, and by old, I mean like, you know, what I like, as soon as I turned 50, I felt like I turned a corner mm-hmm. and I felt like I was ready for a new chapter in my life. And it was all about doing all the things that I thought like had to wait. When wow. I was younger, a lot of times, you know, you delay, you think like, well, first I have to have a job or first I have to, you know, have something there's always always seems to be something that comes ahead of what you really want to do yes and then when I you know when I turned that corner at 50 I thought like okay I'm writing a book I'm going to tour with this book I'm going to um you know work on music and all of a sudden just things fell into place and the possibilities seemed endless again Oh my so, God, you, you can't see me right now, but I have this like starry look in my eyes. I'm like, oh, you're my hero. <laughs> well, I just want people to know because I think a lot of times, you know, they get the message that old is like, you know, you're going to be like waiting to die. I'm not waiting to die. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm exercising to fight off coronavirus. <laughs> if it should come knocking at my door, I'm going to try and punch it. You're like doing every YouTube workout. <laughs> I've baked so much bread. You have no idea. <laughs> that's amazing. I was, that's, I'm so glad that you're talking about that because even one of the artists that I was talking to, she and I are both in our 30s and we we're saying that it's almost like we had this illusion in our twenties that like somehow either we had to finish everything we wanted to accomplish somehow in our twenties, which makes no sense. Um, or that by the time we got to our thirties, we were somehow like done. And in fact, like we discovered the opposite. And I feel like every decade I live, I keep like getting more excited about what I get to do in that decade. And I love what you said about like, that all of a sudden it's like, it's like those obstacles are illusory. Like sometimes when I'm working, I'm like, oh, maybe I should like tidy up before I work, or maybe I should finish my emails before I write or like things like that. And after a while, I'm like, whatever. Like, I, <laughs> I'm like, no, I, there's, I don't care anymore about writing emails. Like I need to just work on a song right now. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I think part of it is just giving yourself permission, right? Like just saying, this is, this is who I am. I'm a musician. So I am going to, you know, cut out a chunk of time in my day and give myself permission to write a song. I did it with my book. I remember like, and I kind of tricked myself into it when I was writing violence girl, mm-hmm. I would put my daughter in the school bus, make myself a cup of coffee and, um, and just start writing. And wow. I would tell myself I, I had a restriction. I could not, eat lunch until I finished my, my post for the day, the writing oh my God. That I had to do for that day. Cause uh, oh my school was all blocked. Yes. Yes. So it, it, and that worked for me, you know, no housework, no laundry, no nothing Nothing's. else, just write. And, um, it worked for me. Oh my God. That's brilliant. I was like, I, I low key bribe myself with lunch sometimes too. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And the hungrier you get, the more like, 
oh yeah, okay, this is a good idea. Yes, yes, you're like, just get something out. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. What inspired you to start writing Violence Girl and tell everyone, I guess like tell all the podcast listeners, like what is Violence Girl about? Okay, Violence Girl is my, I guess it's kind of my autobiography. It's a memoir. It was uh, inspired by meeting with this group of um, of actors who were, writing a play called The Barber of East LA. And hmm. they asked to interview me and a couple of my friends about what it was like growing up in East LA during the 60s and 70s. Mm -hmm. They took us out to, in exchange for our knowledge, they took us out for drinks. And we got really drunk and of course started telling the best stories <laughs> that they were all funny. Uh, but um, at that point, one of them turned to me and said, why don't you write a book? You really need to write a book. And of oh. course, I was like, okay, yeah, maybe. I, I went home. I told my husband. And he was like, you know, I always tell you this and you never listen to me. So the next morning when I woke up, he had gone to work and he left our laptop on the kitchen table. And it said, the true life adventures of violence girl. And he had set up um, a blog for me. And the reason it was called, the reason it was called true life adventures of violence girl is because we had just been to comic con and I had mm -hmm. like been talking about like, what would my comic book be? And, um, and I had mentioned that. So I started blogging this book and mm -hmm. uh, before long I picked up followers and, and they encouraged me and they motivated me to write. A long story short, or maybe long story less long. <laughs> at, the end, at the end of the um, of the blogging, I put out a little message that said, "Like, what should I do with this now?" Yeah. And they and my followers sent in um, suggestions as to where I should send it. I sent out ten pages to Feral House, and they immediately got back to me and said they wanted the book. So. That's, that's how, that's, that's what violence girl is. Wow. Yeah. That's, I mean, I'm so fascinated. What were your interactions like with the people who were reading it as you were blogging it? Like, what were some of those conversations about? Mostly it was um, people just encouraging me and saying like, reacting to what I'd written and saying like, oh, I remember this or tell yeah. us more about that, you know? So it was, um, it was it was a sense of responsibility too because certain days I didn't feel like writing and if I didn't write someone would write in and say hey I'm waiting for my installment mm -hmm. I you know I read it before going to work or I read oh. it at work or whatever so then I had like it was almost like having you know a boss <laughs> that's so funny well yeah cuz like and, yes yeah, an editor yeah. I'm sorry um, Oh, no, I was thinking on the internet, sometimes it's like, it feels like you're like screaming into the void um, and having people actually like the void screams back and is like, hey, where's my stuff? Yeah, yeah. So it felt meaningful. It felt like, you know, it felt like it was worth doing because people were interacting with it. So I, and and you know what, it really, it really was inspired by what I know, you know, by what, by my experiences in punk because mm -hmm. I am not a writer. I never studied. I never aspired to being a writer, but um, I had something to say. I wrote it in the best way that I could, and I blogged it. You know, which is something that's accessible to anybody. And right. punk rock is that same way. It's not about like how well you can play your instrument. It's about having something to say and having the audacity to get up and make some noise and tell your story. 
Yes. Or tell, you know, so I felt like it was very punk inspired, you know, like blogging it, publishing every day, not a lot of like, um, you know, critique or um, not a lot of judgment, just, just do it. And it right. worked. Right. Oh my God. That's, it's funny. Cause that's interesting what you said about punk, because my memories of punk growing up in LA, my parents worked in downtown and I like, I grew up in the Valley. And so we would drive through the city because my Nana was in the Fairfax district. So like, I'd be kind of crisscrossing the city, but in the car with my parents. And I remember seeing people outside of shows on the sunset strip. And I remember thinking to myself, I, I said to my parents at one point, like I was seeing all these people and they were so shiny and so alluring. Like they were like, it was like, like exotic birds. And I remember being like, I was like, that's what I want to be. I was like, I want to be like that. My parents were like, what? And I was just like, I want to be a shiny bird like them. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I remember thinking it was so cool. And I remember I like, uh, my like great aunt gave me like some of her costume jewelry. So I would like try and like poof my hair as big as it would get. And I'd wear these like giant clip on earrings and I'd be like, yeah. And, like, <laughs> I wanted to be like who I saw, like from the car windows. Cause it was just me in the back seat, just like, you know, watching, watching the city go by as a really little kid. <laughs> yeah those exotic (laughs) birds are like my favorites too you know the people and and they still are and not all of them are punk there's different you know different people out there that just like they're unique and they're so excited I'm so happy that they're in the world because they just broaden out you know what the scope of humanity and and expression you know the I feel like it widens all of our ability to like express ourselves as creatively as we want to. Yes. Um, you know, I, I, when um, my kid was little, I remember her uh, wanting to go to school with like, um, it was like, I don't know, it's like a little suction cup. It was like a little suction <laughs> cup that had a piece of wire attached to it and a crystal dangling from it. Yes. Oh my God, and, I have this in my room. <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about? I, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> but she suctioned it to her forehead and she wanted to wear it to school. And I'm like, yeah, you can wear it to school. That's fine. And I'm that sure. is so I don't know how, funny. I don't know what her teachers said, but I just thought like, you go ahead and wear that to school and see what happens. That is <laughs> amazing. I, I was like, I probably, I, oh my God. I was just like, I, I relate to this deeply. I remember going to school and my mom would put my hair in two ponytails so that my hair wouldn't get tangled and I'd undo it and try and get my hair all in one like side ponytail. And I made a bow out of like paper that I'd colored. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that sounds great. <laughs> I was just like, because I really, I remember driving up and down sunset so much. I wanted to look like that. And so I was like, how do I accomplish this? <laughs> I love it. We need more of that. I mean, that's like, that's what we need right now when we're like in our houses. And, you know, people always say like, dance like nobody's watching. It's right. Like, we can just do it right now because nobody's watching. You no one's like, watching. <laughs> yeah. You can play dress up. You can create, you know, I have like a little, a little um, headband that I'm looking at right now that somebody made for me for a photo shoot. And then we ended up not using it, but it has like pink and yellow and blue baby clothes, uh, baby diaper pins. I know what? it's like, <laughs> I know very, very gendered, but, um, but they're so 
cute. It's like a little headdress with these baby pins, uh, safety pins. And I thought somebody put a lot of creativity into my yeah. headdress. And um, I don't know, it, it, it's exciting to me. Anytime I see any little trace of that, whether it's like in clothing or in music, you know, the, you know, I think it's all the same, the same vibe, you know, like whether you're playing license plates mm-hmm. or um, making a paper bow or like sticking a suction cup on your, I love they're all my people. You're my people there. That's who I want to spend my life surrounded <laughs> by. It's like, I like that. It's like suction cup on forehead. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's amazing. And I love that. I love that you just took it upon yourself to start writing like that to me. It's funny when I started this podcast, I wanted to talk to people who did multiple things and also I've talked to other artists about like juggling parenthood along with artistry as well. And it sounds like you were like, yeah, bring it on. Um, what was that like, like becoming, becoming a parent within the music scene? Cause I know like the male musicians I talk to, whenever I ask them about this, they're like shrug. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, my experience was not like that. My, I actually had a very difficult time. Um, I didn't have a great support system. My husband was working full time. Mm-hmm. I was married, so I did have a support system, but I he worked really long hours because I had to like take some time. I, I chose to take some time off. Right. Um, right. But um, but I had no little little kid experience at all. And oh boy. you know, kids don't come with instructions. So mm-hmm. I like I really felt um, overwhelmed at times. Mm-hmm. And I really, I, I stopped playing music, um, which felt like I was dying. It made me, yeah. it really felt like mm-hmm. I was not getting um, what I needed out of life. Like I was not getting stuff. It's not, it's not enough. Like, I feel yeah. like I love my, my daughter and I love the time I spent with her. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. But I also, at the same time, I need to play music. I need to write music. Right. I need to have something that nourishes me. I can't be, um, there's not enough for me to give if I don't nourish yes. myself. Yes. So, um, yes. so I really experienced that. I was actually, I, at a certain point, I formed a band called Stay at Home Bomb. <laughs> and oh my god that's <laughs> and it was about it was it was um about experiencing that kind of feeling like i was going to go off i was a i was a bomb waiting yeah. to happen because there was so much like pent up inside of me so much creativity that couldn't get out so much right. um like just i just needed to be around other musicians and have a chance have an outlet so um I started rehearsing with them and we like, it was real, it's actually a really cool band, Stay at Home Bomb. We, we had like all the, we had all the baby tropes, you know, we had like our, our, our housewife tropes too. We had um, mm-hmm. um, a, a baby clothesline hanging behind us with oh like, my God. You know, onesies and diapers and, uh-huh. uh, and we wore aprons on stage and my guitar player, my lead guitar player played um, guitar with a, uh, she did a solo with a blender with a, I'm sorry, not a blender, a hand mixer. She would slide the hand mixer uh, to play slide guitar. It was, 
And usually, usually one of us would bake cookies and hand them out to the audience. Oh, my God. We really got into it. It was really fun. Oh, my God. I was just like, is there footage of this? This is this is amazing. This I'm like footage online. Oh my god! Some footage online. I'm gonna Google the (laughs) heck out of that. Um, I'm like that is brilliant because yeah, I was thinking about. I'm so glad that you that you stated that that it's like it's not that like I think that people misunderstand when it's like it's not that you didn't want to spend that time with your daughter but it's like you you need your time to be you it's like you need to fill your cup so you can nurture her like exactly otherwise you're like oh, my cup is empty <laughs> like, yeah I, I have nothing to give like I can't you know yeah I mean it's as important as eating you know yeah. if, if you're a musician it's like eating or sleeping yeah, you know, it's like you need these this to stay sane. Yeah. Otherwise, as much as you want to be a good parent, you get edgy. You get mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. you know, you don't know what's wrong. You get emotional. You want to cry. My yeah. Baby wants to cry, and then everyone's like, oh. crying. Everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I don't know how people do it that don't have a support system at all. Like, even though my husband was working long hours, he was there at, at night. I remember one time waking up to like breastfeed mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. actually I was up, I wasn't breastfeeding. I was pumping and um, I pumped in the middle of the night. And at the time you had to like sterilize the suction cup. And I, I set them to boil and I fell asleep at the kitchen table waiting for them to boil. And I woke up with the plastic all, the plastic was melting and the whole room was filled with these toxic fumes. Oh my God. Oh, yes, it was insane. It was really scary because I could have set the house on fire, but it was just, you're so tired. Yes, yes. Oh my God. Well, I'm glad that you survived. I was just like, that would be the most like mortifying cause of death. Be like, yeah, I melted. (laughs) I melted my, my breast milk pump. And <laughs> oh my God, that's bonkers. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it helps too if you're close to your family. And I'm, I'm not, I, I've become more close to my family over the years, but I've mm-hmm. also, there was a time when I was sort of distant from them. Mm-hmm. So um, they didn't, I didn't have that automatically, like somebody coming over and Yes. Saying, hey, I'll watch the baby while you take a shower. Yes. So, yes. Yes. Did your friends understand that? Like, did your friends, were they able to step up and help? Or was it like a novelty that you had a baby? Or I think a lot of my friends just kind of like, you know, would invite me to go to a concert. And then when I couldn't <laughs> go, they're like, oh, she's busy with her kid. Oh, she my God. Like so I felt like I really felt like um, I, I didn't have a lot of friends who weren't who could relate got it so um so it didn't work for me (laughs) it sounds like you were born and raised in LA and then like weren't really close with your family which I'm guessing that was covered in your books I'm just like now I need to read your books um but then you raised your daughter in LA and I was like oh that's a different experience because then you were relying on your friends who like didn't seem like they understood that at all but that must have been really interesting to, like, did you raise her in the same place that you grew up or in a different area in L.A.? Uh, well, I had moved away from um, from my parents' house. I was living in Glassell Park. Mm-hmm. And uh, my my father had passed away by then. And my mother passed away shortly after that. Mm-hmm. And my sister had also, uh, my sister 
my sister was around until my daughter was about two or three years old and she got cancer and also passed away. Oh my goodness. And then my, my older sister moved away. So I feel like it was mostly like people just, it wasn't that I, um, it wasn't that I had uh, a falling out with my family. It's just that we weren't close. My, my older brother's had uh, are a lot are considerably older than me oh. and they had their own families and had moved to different areas so we didn't see each other regularly oh that's oh. yeah so none of that is in my book none of that is explained in my book <laughs> but, <I> thought, <laughs> but since it came up I thought I would mention it that it's oh, not oh gotcha yeah and yeah. the um the whole thing I mean I don't I don't hold it against my uh, friends, you know, that they didn't really understand where I was coming from because I was that person, you know, I had been the same type of person that would be like, Oh, someone so just wants to stay home. Come on, get a babysitter. Come out, <laughs> you know, like, come, come and hang out with us. Don't forget your friends. And you kind of almost guilt the person, you know, like yeah. God, they don't want to come out, but it's like, it's a lot harder to find a sitter that you trust. And yes. to, when you do find someone you trust, you have to make sure they're available. Of and course. then it can be really expensive if you're yes. constantly hiring sitters. So exactly. for many reasons, you know, it's not that people don't want to go out and have fun it's that um it it becomes very difficult it can be prohibitive like the yeah. way that my friend explained it it was funny like one of the first times she went out uh without her kid she messaged me and said i feel like a free julian assange <laughs> <laughs> i was like where are you she's like the grove i've broken out come meet me <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah it's i mean Part of it is just having adult time, you know, yes. having somebody else that you can, that you can just chat with without having to, I mean, I, and it sounds, I mean, it's sounding like I don't enjoy the time with my, with my kid, but I really do. And I really, and I, you know, and I had been a teacher for a long, long time and I really loved it. That yes. was the reason I really wanted to have a kid. Cause I thought oh. I'm a good teacher. I'm going to be a great parent. But then I didn't realize like, you know, when you're a teacher, you get a lot of breaks. You get yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like I was like parent twenty four seven. Twenty four seven for uh twenty years. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> uh, at least, right? My daughter's still like she lives um she lives in my converted garage. So mm -hmm. she's still here. My Aww. my baby's still at home. Oh, I was going to say, I think if my mom had her way, I'd still be, I'd still be at their house. I found it interesting talking to my parents even about how they grew up in LA versus what my experience was growing up in LA. And I was just like, I wonder if you and your daughter had ever had those conversations. Like my parents have like talked about like what's changed, what stayed the same, like all sorts of stuff. It's really interesting. Hmm. I don't know that I've ever really had that conversation with Sophia. Um, I think Part of it is because we were um, living in Arizona for part of it. Mm -hmm. um, so it was new to both of us, that experience. Mm -hmm. And then we moved to San Diego for a while, and that was new to both of us. Mm -hmm. Occasionally, I guess I would, you know, I'll point out something, but not that often. Maybe I should. <laughs> it's been really cool watching the documentary. It was interesting watching how they edited the audience reactions to you versus the audience reactions to other people in the documentary 
I think it was kind of weird, actually. I feel like um, I feel like different audience shots are mixed in yes. um, out of order. Like I don't kn know that that is necessarily um, like I feel like somebody was just shooting the audience for the whole time, and then they yes. just chose to put it in, you know, for a certain band or another band, like because it, it's it is a, a strange thing you know I, I i'm not a huge fan of um the decline of western civilization mm -hmm. um i am grateful to have been in it i think uh penelope spheres did a wonderful job getting her um her vision across and i admire that she is you know uh she's a woman that had a vision and, and got it done, which is more mm -hmm. than a lot of people can do in Hollywood. Yes. And um, so, so I admire that, but I also feel like for people who are just looking for a history of what punk was like, it doesn't tell the story of a whole bunch of very creative people that were around when punk first started. So if you're looking for that, that is not the documentary for it. This documentary really tells of, um, a story of something much darker, which is not, um, is it's not really the way I remember punk. There were moments of, of um, anger and darkness and, mm -hmm. and drug abuse, but it wasn't all like that. And it wasn't right. always like that. That's, and I'm, I'm wondering, I was like, what else would you recommend people watch or read or listen to, to get a fuller picture? Because I, I like watching it, I did feel like it was, it was certainly like one narrative through line of mm -hmm. punk, but hearing what you're saying about, you know, that it didn't quite capture kind of like how you saw it. I'm like, what media would you recommend people take in? I, you know, I don't know if people can look up um, stuff on, on YouTube, maybe. Uh, I have a series of interviews with women who were involved in the early punk scene on my mm -hmm. website. And a uh, you know, people can get recommendations of other bands that are not featured in that documentary. So they can right. look them up and see if there's, you know, if there's footage of them. Um, the sad thing about being at the forefront of a creative movement is that often you're not documented, you know, and it's, right. it's, you're at the, you're at the very beginning of the swell, you know, and once it reaches the top, those people get all the attention and the people who were at the very beginning are sometimes not the people who are remembered as right. the, you know, as um, part of the creators. Uh, so I feel like there's a whole bunch of bands. Um, people have to do their research and, uh, and I think the easiest way is to either find footage online or uh, look for old records right. and also read um, read interviews and um, writing from a variety of authors. I like, I like what you said about like actually doing your research because I remember prior to this as a teenager, I remember listening to X and mm -hmm. one, I was just so excited that there was a female lead singer yeah. Um, because I didn't relate as much to like yelling white men, <laughs> I guess is right. the best way to put it, where it's like that kind of, it felt too scary to me. 
Like it was like, it was not as, it wasn't an anger that I could access necessarily. And yeah, so- I mean, it's, it's important that people realize too that, that there is a history of erasure of the contributions of women and people of color and queers. So yes. And, and in order to tell the full story, you need to get those voices in there. Then you'll be able to have a better idea of what punk was really like at the beginning, because it was, you know, it was inclusive. Yeah. Yeah. They were the, the most creative, um, not the most, I mean, equally creative. I don't want to like, there are lots of like white, dudes that are super cool super creative but they are not the only ones and they often get all the attention so yes. i want to say <laughs> look elsewhere broaden your horizons do some research you're going to find people of color there you're going to find a lot of women and you're going to find a lot of queers yes yes and that's that's what i found like as a as a teenager getting deep into for some reason my parents thought it was uh, okay to give me an aol screen name when i was 12 um and in some ways that super was okay because really all i did was join chat rooms about music <laughs> um i discovered a lot more about music basically um and the more i dug the more i found exactly what you said about like the you know, oftentimes there is a lot of erasure going on just because like you said, like then, you know, a few years into a movement, it's the, then those people that get more popular. Um, Also, you wonder why those people got most popular too, you know, and who are the people that get more popular or the people that are mirroring the people in in power or the values or the, the look or the, whatever it is that people empower value that's what they're going to um package to you yes yes and then you know in a way like seeing i don't know i was talking to another artist about this about that if you don't see someone in the role that you potentially want to be either you have to like shoehorn yourself into like the nearest role or you just decide like maybe that's not actually possible for me absolutely i completely agree i feel like it's important just to be present to be seen and um yeah so that's i mean i think a lot of there's there's a lot of women out there that are doing um really creative stuff right now and i try to i really try to um to highlight it whenever i can i go out of my way to um and i and not because of political reasons but because i really enjoy the sound of a woman's voice. Yes. um, I really can relate to the things that many women have to say, not just women either. I mean, just people that are, that are stepping outside of the mainstream and have something original to say, something different that I haven't heard a million times. Exactly. So, um, so we, we all have to do our homework constantly. And that's, I love that phrase. I was just like, I love doing homework. (laughs) (laughs) That's the teacher. That's the teacher in me coming out. I'm assigning homework. (laughs) Go find artists that were a race that actually speak to you. (laughs) I was like, that's a great assignment. (laughs) Yes, that's it. I'm like, I'm, I'm, after I interview you, I'm like, I'm going to go on like a Google spree. <laughs> really? Thank yes. you. I was like, that's Thank so exciting. You. I was like, because I want to go on your website and look at when you said that you interviewed different artists. I was just like, 
oh, that's so exciting. <laughs> oh, not, ju- not just artists, though. I interviewed women who were involved in the early LA punk scene in different oh capacities God. because I felt like it's not just like, you know, this band had a, you know, a lead singer who was girl. It was like, right. no, they were, we were, we were in all the roles. I mean, there were people who were photographers. There were people that were making zines. They were mm-hmm. uh, bookers that were women. There were, um, played every instrument, did managed bands, pretty much did everything that the guys right. did. Right. So those are the women that I interviewed because their stories weren't being told. I was like going to libraries and I pick up a book on punk and it was always like dudes in leather jackets or, yes. you know, looking yes. a certain way and mostly white dudes. And I just thought, this is not the punk I remember. Well, and that's so interesting that you say that because I noticed, um, it's interesting because now I'm like, now I want to look up more footage of you because I noticed also in the edit, other than the audience reaction, which I thought was like, I was like, that seems like a really specific choice to have that audience reaction to you. But also yeah. that there were shots of your feet and that you were wearing like kitten heels. Mm-hmm. And, I was, and I was like, one, like you're more coordinated than I, like me trying to jump around <laughs> heels is I'm like, I can stand still and or walk slowly. Um, and so I was like, mad respect to your levels of coordination. Um but I also thought that that was an interesting choice and spoke to me about the fact that I'm like, I'm sure that there were other artists who were wearing something other than the, uh, you know, the uniform of like a sweaty t-shirt and a leather jacket and like that whole thing. I was just like, I'm sure that there are more people wearing like you were wearing. Like, um, yes, there were. And there were, uh, you know, at the beginning, it was all really open. A lot of us would like paint our clothes and not only go thrift store shopping and like alter your clothes, uh-huh. but like, there, you know, I remember going to Frederick's of Hollywood, buying stiletto heels to wear on stage. And, yep. and it was crazy. It was, it was, you know, it was kind of impossible, but we did it anyway because it was, <laughs> because we were young and we thought like, let's see if this works. Right. Which is, yeah. And that's, let's see, let's see if I can manage not to fall. And if I fall, it's part of the show. <laughs> <laughs> And that's amazing. That's kind of like the suction cupped crystal to your forehead. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, because part of the fun of going to see a live show is having that edge, having that feeling like, what will happen? What's going to yes. be unexpected? Who wants this? I mean, I personally don't want to see something that is rehearsed to perfection. If, if you know, I, I'm not that interested unless it's like synchronized swimming or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to see, you know, somebody who's pushing it on stage, you know, yeah. like who, who is totally in the moment and perhaps doesn't do the thing that was rehearsed and does something else instead. Um, so that's, well, and that's, that's, that's what you got with the bags. You often got like out of control, uh-huh. uh, you know, falling down. Like I, I have scars from like, falling down like I remember falling on a on broken glass and oh my the God. audience and like having a bloody knee just like running around and having being like really sick with a cough and swigging Vicks Formula 44 with <laughs> the cough syrup of choice and I would just like stand up there swigging a bottle of <laughs> making myself so sick and throwing behind throwing up behind an amp 
Oh god. So these are these are the these are the kind of like ridiculous shows we used to put on. <laughs> <gasps> well, I think what you said speaks to kind of like the vulnerability of performance that you know, in some ways, like we want to rehearse everything so that we don't quote like mess up in front of people. But if anything, that like messing up and that being human and that almost like inherent messiness is what's interesting about live performance. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, it's so funny because I I get really bad stage fright. I'm a total studio rat. Like put me, put me in a pile of keyboards and I'm really happy. (laughs) And so... (laughs) I'm like, I need to embrace my inner rolling around in broken glass a tiny bit. Maybe rolling around in glitter. That technically counts as broken yeah. glass, right? <laughs> that can be dangerous too, though. You'll have glitter on you forever. <laughs> well, like, getting your eyes. Yes, I, I know, this is a teacher in me again. I'll stop, Alice. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. You're like, just wear goggles. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that would be an interesting performance art piece, like rolling around the glitter wearing goggles. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. But you've got to you've got to roll around in butter first to get the, <laughs> and then glitter <laughs> to get a good coating. Oh my god. That sounds way better than baking. I don't know. <laughs> it's like day 17 of quarantine, bust out the butter. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that's so funny. How do you I mean, how do you capture the energy of that when you're doing like studio recordings and such? Um, I think when I'm when I go into the studio, like I kind of put on my producer cap while the um, instruments are being laid down. Mm -hmm. And then uh, when I go to sing, I just kind of block everything out. I close my eyes and I just try and live the, live the song, live the lyrics. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I find that, I don't know about for you, but for me, sometimes that's the hardest if it's like I'm doing multiple vocal takes, like to stay engaged in the story of it when there's like no external, like there's no audience. You're just like, well, I'm going to tell this story again. <laughs> no, I actually, I, I, I really like it. I really like going into like living the story. Ooh. And I'm, I'm really fortunate because I feel like my uh, producer is great at getting me out of my head and helping me imagine other ways of telling the story. So she'll often tell me, okay, try that. um, You know, try that. But now you're like more vulnerable or now you're like angry to give me an angry version. So she'll have me do it different ways. Um, I think the thing that I, I noticed most is that I, take more chances in the studio um oh interesting yeah like a lot like because I feel like you know if it if we don't like it we just don't use it but right. I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna go for that note that I've never sung before you know I'm gonna try right. and hit that high high note and sustain it and if I don't sustain it we're just gonna cut it out yep. <laughs> so yep so I feel like I can do anything I, I feel like the studio is actually a really liberating experience for me musically that's uh, so cool uh on, like it's 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 completely different um 
different high from like being in front of an audience. When I'm in front of an audience, it's less about the music and more about the interaction, the human connection, right. the feeling of right. each other's energy. But right. in the studio, it's all about like, how can I get the message of this song into, into, like into my voice? That's fascinating. And what you yeah. said, it made me reflect on my own experience. And I think what you said is accurate of like how your producer encourages you to sing things with different, you know, different emotional inflections and things like that. That's actually what helped me get out of the mind frame of like, ugh, I have to tell the story again, was working with a vocal engineer that I had produced out the rest of the song. And then I was recording the vocals at her place. And she was telling me to think of different things while I was singing so that I would have different emotional inflections. It was really interesting. Like one of them, she's just like, you got cotton candy on Santa Monica Pier and then it started raining. <laughs> like, stop. Oh, <laughs> <Or> like, <laughs> oh, I can imagine that. Good. Right? And it was, it yeah. was so cool. And it's like, I think what you said, like it's a different kind of interaction. Like in that way, you're interacting with... Uh, like your team that you trust and also you're bringing out different aspects of the songs as opposed to I love that you said that almost when you're performing live like it is that you're communicating through the music but it's about your interaction so the focus is totally different yes that's so cool yes and and you know that in the live situation people are not going to hear every inflection and in the studio they are you can whisper yes. something or you can just bend the note in a little you know a little bit and people are going to hear it and yes. it's going to, you know, it's going to touch someone in a different way. But on stage, you know, it's all about what you're doing, how you're behaving and what the, you know, the animal energy is. Exactly. Yeah. I'm puzzling through and I guess it's still like a question for all of us of like how to interact with live streaming right now where we can't be around other people. Yeah, I find it kind of difficult. Um you know, I enjoy watching other people put up like acoustic songs, like you put put up a, a clip of themselves doing something that might, they might not usually do. Um, yeah. I enjoy that, but I also feel like that's not like I've been invited to several like concerts, like to do a concert where I'm playing my guitar and just singing. And I thought like, that's not what I feel like doing right now. I don't yeah. like... Um, there's a lot of people doing it and they're really strong at it. I would rather just uh, do a bad exercise video and, <laughs> and invite people to do it with me. I, I seriously, I love, I'm so into um, doing exercise videos with, there's this um, YouTube uh -huh. personality called the fitness marshal. Oh my and God. My daughter and I watch, um, watch them they do one song and then um, you can, but they have a whole bunch of songs that you can choose from and you can add on, you can choose to do, to get up and do one song or you can do 10 songs if you're you know, feeling ambitious. Uh, and it's really fun. It's, it, and they really stress that it's not about like doing it perfectly. It's about having fun and getting up and shaking your ass. Mm -hmm. right? Like. Yeah. <laughs> He calls his followers the booty army. Oh my god, <laughs> that's amazing! Yeah, so I recommend I recommend Fitness um, Marshall if you're it's at home Marshall. and you're feeling like. But and of course, I also recommend. I also have my own like, uh, like little fitness clips that I've been putting up to um, 
to punk songs. Oh my so, god! Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's that amazing. Check it out. Check it out. <laughs> yes, yes. Because I think that people, you know, I think that that what you just said sparked in my mind. Like that was one of the things that I was missing when I was watching this live stream. Was like. The interaction. The, yeah, the interaction and the moving around part. Because yes. when you have a show, like, I, you know, I feel like people make fun of others in LA and it's somewhat accurate that, like, people sometimes stand, like, completely still at a show, um, which baffles me. Like, when I'm in an audience and when I'm performing, like, watching people stand, like, statues, I'm like, what you doing? <laughs> I mean, like, you don't have to, like, be going wild, but, like, if, uh, like, you always kind of, you're feeling the music, like, it moves yeah. your body and other bodies are moving around you, and so I was like, that's brilliant that you're setting, like, exercise to punk rock, because I'm like, how could you listen to punk rock and not move? Right, it makes you want to move, it makes yes. you want to be happy and dance around and be goofy. At least that's how it makes me feel. So I want, I want people to have that option, you know, to like, I, I think we spend, at least I did at the very beginning of this like quarantine, um, feel like, okay, it's like, I'm sick. I'm going to watch TV and watch the news, see who's infected. Like who's like, how many people have died? What's up with the respirators? And you just become like, it, I, it's almost like makes you feel like you're sick and I'm not yeah. sick. I'm healthy. I want to get up and I want to move. I can't, I can't go to the gym. I can't really, you know, I can't go to a concert and dance around. So I'm going to dance in my living room and make some goofy moves. I love that. Make <laughs> sure you, you take some time to do the Alice bag workout. Heck yeah. Thank you so much for spending all this time talking to me. This has been amazing. I'm like, this is... Oh, it's my pleasure. It was really fun. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode of Why Not Both. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. You can also come hang out with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, both on Instagram and Twitter. This season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar. Under the Radar is a nationally distributed print, music, and entertainment magazine and website. You can find them at www.undertheradarmag.com and feel free to support them on Patreon. Extra special thanks to our producer, Laura Studeris, who has been absolutely amazing. Thank you again, and I look forward to next week's episode. 